0: Um, We are uh, heading in a different direction this week. Um, Y'all, today is not quite like I had imagined it would be, um, but it is a beautiful and wonderful thing to finally have folks back in our sanctuary to be worshiping with us, and it is always a good and beautiful thing to have you worshiping with us online. Um, I... I pray that you'll be patient. Um, there, w- one thing that we have learned throughout this whole COVID experience is everything brings a new learning curve with it. And so today the learning curve is where in the world am I supposed to look? Do I look in the camera? Do I look at y'all's wonderful, beautiful faces and sparkling eyes? Um, And so be patient as I figure out how to to navigate um, this now new normal. But we have two weeks before the season of Advent begins. And that Advent season, those four weeks that lead up to Christmas, y'all, that is hard for me to believe. But nonetheless, it is coming. And so in these two weeks before um, Advent, we want to invite um, all of us to think about what does it mean to live with Jesus as Lord of our lives? Now, Jesus as Lord, that is kind of a daunting invitation. It's the core invitation of our Christian faith, but it can be daunting and we are not here to overwhelm um, you. Instead, We want to invite you to take one small step. And by the way, that's what our little video would have shown is one small step. Each week, one small step towards the lordship of Jesus in your life. And today might seem like an unusual step, an unexpected step, but it is timely. We know that one of the ways that Jesus powerfully showed his lordship was the night that he washed his disciples' feet. It was an act, an act of humility. it was an act of strength. It was an act of love that teaches a powerful lesson today. It was powerful then and is powerful today. So I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible translation. Before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully. Jesus and his disciples were sharing the evening meal. The devil had already provoked Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robes. Picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. No, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you You won't have a place with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus responded, those who have bathed need only to have their feet washed because they are completely clean. You disciples are clean, but not every one of you. He knew who would betray him. That's why he said, not every one of you is clean. After he washed the disciples' feet, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, just as I have done, you must also do. I assure you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. This is God's word for all of God's people. Thanks be to God. What was Jesus thinking? Seriously, he was the Messiah. He was not their servant. Technically, he wasn't even the host of this meal that they were sharing that night. And yet, there he was, stripped down, apron tied around his waist, hands in the water, washing the dust off of the disciples' feet. Their feet. The disciples' feet. If anything, they should have been doing that. For him. Not only that, he was washing Judas's feet, the one who would later that night kiss him on the cheek in a sign of betrayal. For 30 pieces of silver, he will turn him over to the authorities. Maybe he was trying to jumpstart Jesus' fury so he would do something dramatic and actually look and act like the promised Messiah. Maybe he was already in the throes of Satan and was simply doing what needed to be done so Jesus could fulfill his destiny on the cross. But with the same amount of love and tender care, Jesus washed Judas' feet just like he did all of the others. And he also washed Peter's feet. After some resistance by Peter, Jesus lovingly washed and dried the feet of the one who, in spite of how much Jesus loved him and in spite of how much Peter loved Jesus, he would deny Jesus later that night. Jesus knew this and washed them anyway. So we have much to learn today from Jesus. In a world where there is a great deal of anger and hurt swirling around us, spending some time talking about forgiveness... And reconciliation seems right. Being reminded that we are loved and forgiven and reconciled to God is so comforting to us to hear. Realizing that Jesus calls us to offer it to others just like he has offered it to us, now that is challenging. I'm reminded of this quote from author Alden uh, Nowlin. He wrote Between Tears and Laughter. He said this, The day the child realizes that all adults are imperfect, he becomes an adolescent. The day he forgives them, he becomes an adult. The day he forgives himself, he becomes wise. One small step along that path of forgiveness is when we realize that all of us are imperfect. We will hurt one another. Others will hurt us. We will hurt them. It doesn't make it okay. It just means we have to learn to deal with hurt in a healthy way. Some of us never really grow out of adolescence here. We realize that it happens, but we don't respond well to it. We dwell in the hurt. We keep score. We repeatedly hurt and get hurt in a cycle that we struggle to break. But the day we learn to forgive those who hurt us, then then we move from adolescence into becoming adults. One small step. And when others hurt us, instead of holding a grudge or raging against the perpetrator or airing our frustration out on Facebook, can I get an amen? Amen. We practice forgiveness. We hear Jesus's words in our heads about loving others, about forgiving, not only once, not just seven times, but how many? 77 times. And sometimes the hardest forgiveness work that we can do, friends, is when we need to forgive ourselves. Now, Alan says, when we figure out that we move from the maturity, when we figure that out, we move from that maturity of an adulthood into receiving the gift of wisdom. We look in the mirror and we see the very same beloved child of God that Jesus sees when he looks into our face. Then we can love ourselves not with pride or arrogance or vanity, but with the love and the appreciation and the grace that Jesus loves us one small step at a time. The point is that, friends, it is so easy to find fault in other people. And right now we are in an environment that is saturated in blame and fault finding and division But if we remember Jesus' example in the upper room that night, and that last night he shared with his disciples before their life and his life would get turned upside down, that night when he washed the disciples' feet and he explained to them why this was important, then just maybe we can remember to treat others with the same grace and forgiveness that Christ has offered us i believe this is important for us to reflect on this morning because of where we are right now this is not a good place to be staying in this place of hurt or anger it's unhealthy it's ungodly and i've listened to several different people over the past couple of weeks Um, talk about how badly they feel after going on Facebook and reading other people's posts or rants about, maybe it's about COVID-19. Maybe it's about the election results. Maybe it's about the tension between racial injustice or how the police are being treated. You can fill in your own blanks. And it's maybe one of the reasons why I've become not a big Facebook person um, over the last year. I just, I just don't spend my time there because afterwards, sometimes I can just feel hollow inside and sad. Our spirits can't sustain this dark and shadowy side for very long, no matter what is causing it within us. But it's also important ...for us to talk about this morning... ...to be reminded of Jesus' lesson... ...because he taught us that part of our faith journey... ...includes going all in with our relationship with Jesus. And in this scripture... ...Jesus reminds us that... ...it is not just about me and Jesus. It's not just about you and Jesus. It's about that same grace and love... ...that Jesus embraces us with... We are to extend to others. That is being being a faithful and healthy disciple. So let's take a closer look at the scripture story. Oftentimes, when we think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, we focus in on the servant's heart of Jesus. To take on this menial task to lower himself from the place of honor to the place of servant. And this is part of what is happening here. It is an important part of the lesson, for sure. But there is so much more that's going on. Jesus... Washing the disciples' feet is actually a sign act. And in the prophets of the Old Testament, they love to use sign acts to make a point. Uh, We all know that a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Well, a sign act is doing something in order to symbolically convey a lesson, and that is worth a thousand pictures. When we understand what and why Jesus was doing this, then we can apply the lesson he was getting at. We can apply that to our own lives. The powerful action that has taken place is that Jesus is inviting the disciples into an intimate and personal relationship with him. And not just with Jesus, but with Jesus and God together. To let Jesus wash their feet is to let Jesus share a deep connection, a personal connection with them. Have you ever had anybody wash your feet? Have you ever participated in a foot washing ceremony or a service? It's powerful. And it's powerful because it is uncomfortable. We don't want people messing with our feet. We don't want folks touching our feet, looking at our toenails. Ugh. And that's part of what's going on here. It's an intimate sharing of care. An invitation to be in relationship with that person who is on their knees washing our feet. Peter is so confused. He is, and you know what, I would, I would have been right there with Peter if I'd have been in that room. He's confused about what is actually happening here and what is meant by what Jesus is doing. Peter thought the power of the foot washing was in the cleansing of the water. But you see, this washing away of dirt, this was not baptism. Like baptism that washes away our sin, that has a a salvific, a, a, a saving power to it. No, the power in this moment was the gift of Jesus offering to be in full relationship with him this was an act of love not an act of salvation it was a gift of relationship of pure grace to have the master take your feet in his hands and lovingly cleanse them the powerful word to me comes in verses 15 and 16 Jesus says, I've given you an example, just as I have, you must do also. And then he ends the the verse 16 with, since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. If you do them. So once again, Jesus gives us a choice. We have personal agency in that this is an ever evolving relationship that we have with Jesus. It is amazing that Jesus chooses to love us and to wash our feet and to shower us with grace. But that's not the lesson Jesus is trying to teach us here. At least it's not the full picture. Being chosen by Jesus is not enough. Being chosen by Jesus is not enough. You know how we know that? Because, consider Judas. Jesus had chosen Judas. Jesus had, had taught and poured himself into Judas. But that wasn't enough. Judas had to choose to embrace the relationship that Jesus was offering him. And he did not. He rejected it. You see, we have to choose the relationship with Jesus that he is offering us. What Christ did for Judas was not enough. Think about Peter. In contrast, Peter did choose to accept the full relationship with Jesus was offering him in spite of Peter's shortcomings. Jesus never wavered in offering that personal relationship with him. It was up to them. It is up to us to receive it to embrace it, to respond to it. Will we first allow Jesus to wash our feet, toenails and all? Will we accept the loving relationship that Jesus is offering to us? And if so, will we then model our lives after Jesus by offering to wash one another's feet? To invite others to be in relationship with us, just like Jesus has extended to you and me. Jesus assures us that we will be happy if we do them. In other words, that is the path towards peace, towards healthy commitment, towards joy. So I want to read another scripture this morning. Um, you, You won't have the words, but it's from 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 17 through 20, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20, because I think this is Paul's way of interpreting this sign act that Jesus has given us. Paul says, So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of a new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you, as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. Here's what Paul is trying to say about our role in offering forgiveness and reconciliation that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. We've received this ministry of forgiveness. That we are now the ones to model, to be examples of what it means to forgive someone who has hurt us, who has harmed us, who has wronged us. Ultimately, we have a choice. We can embrace a call to love one another or we can resist or reject it. I saw a powerful example of this this week uh, that... uh, Oh, uh, the images nearly brought tears to my eyes. This powerful call to a ministry of reconciliation. Do you remember the Rwandan genocide in 1994? Um, In fact, we just got an email this morning. One of our own, Dale Williams, uh, works with Samaritan's Purse, and he's in Rwanda this morning. I was like, "Ugh, isn't that interesting how things connect? Uh, But during that... uh, time of that country, there was a civil war that broke out and the, um, Hutu tribe committed genocide towards the Tutsi tribe. And it was, it was terrible. It was a a terrible time of atrocious, um, persecution of this particular tribe of people. At one time they had been neighbors. They had cohabitated in villages and communities together. So 20 years after these terrible atrocities, there's an organization that's been working towards reconciliation of the nation. And a a photographer, Peter Hugo, goes to um, be part of this project. And so his task was to photograph a Hutu and a Tutsi member side by side in the photograph. And these were people who had been working on reconciliation over all of these years. And there were powerful images of these representatives from the tribes in these photographs. Some of them you could see had reached a full sense of reconciliation. Others had gotten to the please forgive me and that was about as far as they could get. There was one picture of a woman who had her hand on the shoulder of a man who was standing with his back towards her. The man was the Hutu tribe, and the woman was from the Tutsi tribe. And here's what she had to say about um, what happened after the man had asked her for forgiveness. In her words, He killed my father and three brothers. He did these killings with other people, but he came alone to me and asked for pardon. He and a group of other offenders who had been in prison helped me build a house with a covered roof. I was afraid of him. Now I've granted him pardon. Things have become normal. And in my mind, I feel clear. Powerful words of forgiveness and reconciliation. And there was story after story where this had been um, at work over time between two people from two different tribes where one had intentionally hurt the other, damaged the other. And yet they found a way to forgive one another, to enter into a relationship with each other. So I want to ask you to do the same right now. Take a minute and imagine the person in your life right now that you are out of sorts with. Someone specific, someone you could name if, if we ask you to. It doesn't matter the reason that your relationship is broken. Uh, but they have hurt you, or maybe you have hurt them in return. Got someone in mind? What is one step you could do? one gesture of forgiveness, of reconciliation that you could take? How can you take one small step towards being Christ and washing their feet? One small step towards letting grace rule the day. Maybe that gesture is simply to listen to each other. To understand why the other person did what they did or thinks what they think. Or maybe it's simply to offer forgiveness without explanation and to let it evolve from there. Not only that, I want you to think about a time when this gesture might take place. Is it something that could happen this week? Maybe over the Thanksgiving break? Maybe sometime before the year ends, maybe before today ends, but to name a specific time when you might reach out. This is important. Don't leave it ambiguous. You know, as well as I know, we can go, ah, yep, got the person. Yep, need to do this. And we leave it like that. We never actually take the step. In your mind, name a time when you might reach out. And symbolically wash their feet. This reconciliation work is important because the weight of brokenness and the hurt and the anger, it can be so palpable in our lives. And for many right now, we're feeling it. And who else is going to bring the healing? Who else will take that first step? And on a personal level, how does your heart feel right now when you think about that broken relationship in your life? Is that something that you want to carry around or live with indefinitely? Isn't everything else hard enough? Do you long to experience the fullness of Jesus? To imagine Jesus's invitation to the disciples being extended To you. To imagine Jesus inviting you into a grace filled and loving and personal relationship with Him. And then hear Jesus' voice say, I have showed you this example. Now it's your turn. It's your chance to live even more fully into this intimate relationship with Jesus. When you do offer reconciliation to your enemy, you are never more fully in Jesus's presence. So can you hear Jesus's voice? Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. So go do them. Initiate that first small step towards reconciliation. Because a bunch of small steps Genuine, genuine, at some point, eventually equal a large, giant step. But friends, it's up to you. It's up to me. It's up to us to take that first step. Amen.